Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. We are continuing our celebration of Pride Month by discussing Girls of Paper and Fire by Natasha Nyan. There are some content warnings for this book. If you're considering reading it, be warned. There are There is sexual assault and physical assault and some animal death, and we'll be talking about those things in our podcast today. So um, protect yourselves as needed. A quick primer on our characters and their world. So in this world, the characters, the people are divided into castes. So there are three castes. The paper caste is the lowest caste, and it is for people who are fully human. They lack any demon features or extra abilities. A level up from the paper caste is the steel caste, and that is for humans who have partial animal demon qualities and then the moon cast is the highest cast and it is for demons with whole animal demon features and abilities so they have extra abilities and the full expression of features as well uh for our characters we have our main character who is lay uh she is a 17 year old human female so she's of the paper cast And she has striking gold eyes that don't look human, but get her a lot of extra attention, which is not necessarily a good thing. She works in her father's herb shop with her dad and with Tian, who is of the steel cast. She has lynx features. Uh, She's older and has helped raise Lei since her mother was taken in a raid by the demon king seven years ago. Rin is a 19-year-old human female who is from the Hanos clan, and she is our love interest in this story. She hails from a group of humans who are allied with the demon king, but she is actually of Shia warrior heritage, uh, which is a clan whose numbers were decimated due to war and raids, but they are fierce warriors that are also able to use magic. We have the demon king who is like our bad guy. And he is the ruler of Ikara where this book is set. He has a bull form and is described as appearing fairly young. His family has ruled Ikara for the last 200 years and he is referred to as the heavenly master. He doesn't have an actual name. None of the people in his past or his None of the last demon kings have had actual names. Uh, and it's just called the heavenly ruler. And it, it places them in almost like a god-like position for their people. He has a wife, but no one has ever seen her. And she's kept hidden for breeding purposes, which is gross. We have Madame Himura and Mistress Iara, who are the females that are responsible for training the paper girls, which are the concubines to the demon king, uh, to become the perfect concubine for him. They, they undergo a lot of training and things like that. And these ladies are responsible for ensuring that that gets carried out. 
This book is set in Ikara and specifically for Lei, she is from a, a region called Sienzo. Vicky, you want to take off with the plot? Sure. So the book opens with our main character, Lei, at her father's herb shop. A horn blows and everyone goes quiet and still. The last time that happened was seven years ago when Lei's mom was taken from them by the king's guard. The town is on edge, on edge, wondering why they would be back and what will be taken from them this time. Unfortunately, it is Lei. She has eyes like liquid gold, and this is a feature that is striking and associated with luck. The general who takes her has fallen somewhat out of favor with the king and is hoping that Lei will get him back into the king's good graces. The general tells her that she will be a paper girl, which is essentially a concubine for the king. Lei is obviously not into this idea, but when her father and Tian are threatened, she goes with the general. She swears to herself that she will get out, and the idea that she say, may see her mother is appealing. The journey to the palace is not quick and is rather uncomfortable. They pass through a village that has been destroyed, and the general tells Lei that it's because of rebels. At one point, she attempts to escape, but is quickly and painfully taken back to the carriage. She is also called a traitor, despite the fact that she does not want to go. She even has to see Mooncast kill Papercast slaves. When she finally arrives at the palace, she does not have much of a warm welcome. There are only supposed to be eight paper girls, and Lei makes nine. While Madame Himora and Mistress Iara are not thrilled, once they see her eyes, they relent a bit. Lei has an even colder welcome from the girls already there. One girl, Blue, is especially hostile to her. A few of the girls, like Aoki, are excited about what they consider an honor. Most of them are not as upset as Lei is about being a paper girl. There is one girl, Ren, who seems as though she thinks she is better than everyone else, but Lei is drawn to her. Lei learns that they will be spending time in classes, learning essentially woman tasks, like dancing. They spend quite a bit of time in these classes preparing to meet the king. When the time finally comes for them to present themselves to him, Lei ends up tripping and accidentally making a bit of a scene. She's terrified that she or her family will be killed, but when the king laughs at her, she becomes embarrassed. After that party, the king begins to call on the girls to go to his bed. When the girls come back, they are often incredibly distressed, crying, or injured. Lei is terrified about her name being called, but is also somewhat ashamed that she is the last one to get called. The time comes for another celebration, and they see the king while they're there. He speaks to Lei and tells her that he hasn't called on her yet because he is saving the best for last. And the next day, her name is called. Lei has been dreading this moment and is taken by Mistress Iara and Madame Himora to meet with Zell, one of the most popular courtesans at the court. Zell is supposed to teach her the basics of what to expect with the king. Zell tells Lei that the mechanics of it are pretty simple, but to get through it, Lei should imagine someone else. She prompts her to think of someone who makes her feel special and someone who she can't take her eyes off of. Lei almost immediately thinks of Ren and realizes that she's attracted to her. She does not tell this to Zell as she does not trust her, though. It's finally time to her to meet with the king. When she goes into his chambers, she is surprised to see that there is food and drink. He tries to talk with her and woo her. He tells her that if her mother was at the palace, it was likely that her name would be in the list of courtesans. He seems to teeter back and forth between being nice and being upset. Eventually, he becomes aggressive with her and wants to take her to bed. Leia is terrified and ends up escaping him and running away. 
She doesn't get far, though, because she is soon hit on the head by one of the guards. She wakes up in a room with a furious Madame Himora, who tells her that she is a disgrace and that she has embarrassed all the paper girls. For her punishment, she is to be kept in a room by herself without food. She knows that it isn't really the worst punishment, but she is still rightfully upset by the entire situation. In one day, Ren comes by and sneaks her from food, telling Lei that she believes she is very brave. Once she is released, things mostly go back to normal. The king is away, so none of the girls have been called on. However, he of course returns and there is a celebration. At this celebration, though, things go wrong. First, the king pulls her aside to speak with her. He offers her this weird apology and then mentions that there's a sickness going through the land, killing crops, and that he believes the gods are punishing them. Later on, the king brings a group of paper casts to be given as gifts, or slaves, to his guests. Lei is horrified by this and, of course, disgusted by the king. Once the party is over, they are returned to their rooms. Lei hears something that draws her out of her room. She finds Ren talking with a wolf demon. She becomes jealous and suspicious, but Ren tells her there's no one else but Lei. They have a very tense moment where they almost kiss, but Lei turns away before that can happen. Ren and Lei's relationship begins to grow. Ren has basically been, been assigned to be her babysitter after the events of when she was called on by the king and ran away. One day, Ren claims that she and Lei have a day of mourning. Ren shows Lei where she has been sneaking off to. She takes her to the ghost court, which is a temple. Ren tells Lei about how she is actually the last of the Sha line and was adopted. She goes to this place to remember her family who were all killed by the king. She so she shows Lei that she carved Lei's mother name, mother's name for her so that she had a place to go to mourn as well. The next day, there is an attack on the court and Ren gets Lei and Aoki out by going through a trap door that she somehow knew about. Unfortunately, Ren also has to kill one of the rebels and Lei is disturbed. Not only was Ren able to kill someone, she also knew exactly where the trap door was. When Ren sneaks off another night, Lei follows her and finds her practicing fighting with the wolf demon. Lei learns that Ren is actually there to assassinate the king. The king executes the rebels who tried to attack him and things are uneasy for almost two months. He starts calling on the girls again, but Lei is not among those called. Then one day, Lei wakes up to someone screaming and she finds out it is one of the other paper girls, Mariko. She has been found with one of the guards. The king takes this as a great offense. His paper girls are to remain untouched by others. Mariko is branded as rotten and thrown out of the palace. Lei and Ren are both rattled by this as they know if they get caught, that would be their fate as well. They're also bothered because both Aoki, who is close to the king, and Blue, Mariko's friend, are aware of their relationship. Lei gets called to see the king. She plans to try and kill him since she grew up mixing herbs and she asked her lady's maid to get her some she wants to slip the herbs into his drink to poison him however her plans go awry the king does not give her a chance to poison anything he tells her that he ordered the attack on her village and took her mother and he knows that she is dead while Lei tries to fight him off it is useless and when he is done she is so injured she has to be carried back to her room and taken to the doctor when she is healed she asks ren to train her to fight like the jaw while Lei does not take to fighting naturally, she works hard and learns some of the basics. This will hopefully come in handy as Ren and the rebels are planning the assassination for New Year's party. Lei and Ren 
continue to train and get closer, and it's soon time for the party. However, Ren is called away, and the paper girls are told it's because her mother was killed. This is a massive problem, as Ren was the key to killing the king. The wolf demon, who is actually a high-level guard slash advisor to the king, seeks Lei out. He tells her that she must be the one to kill the king. So what happens? Spoilers ahead. So first read for both of us. I don't read a lot of YA novels anymore. I, I don't I don't know that I ever read a whole lot of YA novels, but especially right now, I haven't been reading a whole lot of YA novels. And so I feel like I have to do a conscious gear shift when I start one. You're like, okay, these characters are teenagers. Mm -hmm. and maybe their frontal lobes are not fully developed and uh, so I may not <laughs> that's gonna sound mean I may not just love them immediately because of that <laughs> those are kind of dumb and that's okay <laughs> I mean they're teenagers I mean they're not they are but it's not yeah. I don't it's not just like this book though it's like every time I read a YA novel I'm like okay mm -hmm. remember what it's like to be 17 years old yes and it was a terrible time and, yes yeah and I was very concerned about my own feelings and think it's still mm -hmm. maybe a little bit but I mean yeah <laughs> and so there's definitely like I don't know. It's not just this book. It's every YA book. I have to take a conscious step back and be like, okay, these characters are teenagers and that's not a bad thing. It's just a different thing from what I'm currently and typically do read. So once I could gear shift into YA mode, I enjoyed the pacing of this book. It would, to me felt like a pretty quick read. And I feel like the author did a fantastic job when it came to writing her descriptions. I feel like we should also mention that she, I don't know, co-wrote this or was sponsored by James Patterson. I don't completely know how that works, but James Patterson was involved in at least some part of the creation of this book because his name is on the cover. Um, so there's that. Um, and he co-wrote or was involved with another YA novel that we read. It was Kingdom Kingdom of the Kingdom okay. of the Cursed. Carrie Menescalco. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, it was another YA. So just yes. Um anyway, so once we gear shifted, I really enjoyed the way that this author described the world that she created. My favorite descriptions were like of the place so the the palace of the demon king the way that she talks about all the way that the houses were put together and the gardens and the rivers and just the the building the overall descriptions of it were very thorough without it feeling heavy like some authors can't like just get a little bit too much detail but I could see all of the things that she was describing I felt like I could feel what the environment was like same for the outfits so there are a few scenes in the book where the characters the paper girls they have elaborate dresses and styling and I felt like with the descriptions she provided I could see their dresses I could see the way that they looked and I really enjoyed that about this story um and I felt like 
once you kind of settle into the book, you can pace through it pretty quickly. And I liked that too. What did you think of this book? I don't quite agree with your assessment of this okay. book. <laughs> I felt like not a lot happened in the like first 50% of this book. There was a lot of descriptions. Mm-hmm. Nothing really happened. Like there wasn't a lot of banter between. She had like no interactions with Ren, which is they're mm-hmm. supposed to have a love story. She didn't like embrace trying to learn about. We didn't learn anything about her classes or anything that she was learning. And I get it. She's seventeen, so she's going to be mopey because she was torn away from her family. Get that? But I think that maybe what bothered me the most is that build up here was all to her sexual assault and I did not like that either Mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of where the like crux of my dislike of this came from is Mm -hmm. that not a ton happened you know in it at the like for half of the book um it you know and then that all that tension that was in it was it wasn't towards like a battle or like them finally getting together or something or some sort of confrontation it was to her being raped mm-hmm. like that's not yeah. the type of tension I like in my books you know no. and for it to be dragged on for it was dragged a on. very long time I mean it's like yeah 65 percent of the way into the book where she's sexually assaulted like 35 percent of the way into the book she's physically assaulted but Mm -hmm. it it feels like she's going to be raped in that moment and so you get this build up to that moment and it's like okay this is the moment you're expecting it because there's a trigger warning which i'm grateful for but you're expecting it the whole time and so you get to 35 percent, and it's like okay this is going to be it well no she's physically assaulted Mm-hmm. but she's not sexually assaulted at that moment. And so you spend the next 30% of the book anticipating the actual sexual assault. Like I don't, I, I don't right. enjoy spending the majority of my time reading a book, being anxious about the main character being raped. Yes. So and I, I feel totally like, agree with you there. Yeah. And I feel like if there is more stuff happening in between. It wouldn't have been so bad. Like, more banters, maybe some more action, more interaction with just other characters. You know, it was a lot of like heavy inner dialogue, I thought. Yeah. Um, and I got kind of tired of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that combination between not having much of anything meaningful happen and the buildup being towards something so awful, like, yeah. Maybe not particularly. It was also, I noticed it's very interesting because, you know, you said it was YA and everything. It also uses this caste system. And that made me think so many really popular YA books are like that. And I wonder why it is because we've got Red Queen had a system like that. Harry mm-hmm. Potter kind of has that, you know, at the houses. But then you've got like Hunger Games, Divergent, Bone Witch was split up in that way. Shadow and Bone. Like, why I wonder what it is about YA books that that's so prevalent do you think it's because they're like a lot of the readers are like in high school and college and and they can find like that click type of uh vibe relatable maybe 
especially with so I don't know if it's so much with like Harry Potter but definitely like Red Queen and Hunger Games and I never read Divergent so I don't know about that one but it's not just divided into houses equally which is what we get in Harry Potter Mm -hmm. it's this division based on what you have so class in Red Queen it's people who are poor and people who have magic and are not poor like they Mm -hmm. control all of the thing, like the resources and stuff. Same here. And at Hunger Games, I think was like that too, right? So they're divided into different regions, but there's definitely like the regions that are poor versus the regions that are rich. Um, I don't know if Divergent was like that. You would have to be the reference for that one because I didn't read it. And so <clears throat> I don't, I don't know if that's something that's relatable from a YA perspective, because there's this typically like the idea of clicks being like, we have the popular crowd who, and it is not necessarily like this, but it's typically viewed as having the things that the other people want. And then the less popular crowd and then the band kind of like mean girls, right? Mm -hmm. The band geeks. I forget what yes the plastics like you have that type of thing so these people who have and then maybe these things these other people who don't have and maybe that is relatable from a YA perspective yeah and then you grow up like you grow up and you become in a new adult and it looks like tax brackets instead (laughs) instead of clicks and you learn everyone is just all suffering and nobody knows what they're doing. Embrace the suffering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then it just becomes a matter of who's faking it better than the other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with a lot of what you just said, especially with the build up to the sexual assault. It was a, that made for a stressful read. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I feel like Uh, there were moments where instead of there being such heavy inner dialogue and that goes into the angst and that's real popular in YA novels, but she could have explored her interactions with the other paper girls. Chenna, for example, was one of them who gets brought up several times, but we don't ever go any deeper into her story. Even blue, she tries to relate to and blue pushes her away, which makes sense. But the twins, like she doesn't seem to be on unfriendly terms with them. She could have cultivated some interactions and we could have just seen like the way that she interacted with the other people. The only other character besides Rin that we really see much relationship development with is Aoki. And that's a garbage fire. <laughs> I mean, I just can't stand her. But I think I agree. There is an opportunity for maybe some more character development through her interactions with other people. And we don't really get that. It's just a lot of inner monologue. I mean, which is not a bad way to tell a story. It's just not our preference, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, I, I mean, and I, I think this just every time I read a YA novel, YA characters are just kind of dumb sometimes. Like there were times when she was, particularly in the development of her relationship with Rin, where she was like, 
I feel like I don't know you. And she's just real upset about a few things. And I'm thinking, well, you don't know her. We've barely seen you have like meaningful conversations with her, other interactions. A lot of what you're present, like we're presented with are like very minimal conversations. And Ren is keeping all of these secrets, but she explains to her that she's doing it to keep, you know, lay safe. And so, and also uh, like, I feel like you're allowed to have secrets when you barely know the person that you're with. Yeah. I wonder if we've talked about this with some other characters, how much of it might be like, how much of their connection might come from having shared trauma mm-hmm. and like trauma bonding um, kind of in these situations, because there really isn't a lot of interaction between them. Yeah. Like at all. And I, I don't understand. They get to this point where it's like, I love you. I love you. And I'm like, but but do you really yeah it makes it hard to support maybe like the genuineness of their affection for each other when it's done in the light of you both being forced into a sexual relationship that you don't want to be in with an awful person yeah I also found it so I don't want to say strange just kind of I don't know so um Lay catches her outside talking to the wolf whose name I don't remember. So I just called them wolf demon <laughs> the whole time. Um, and Ren goes, there's no one else. And Lay's like, oh, the else, she means me. I'm the, and I'm like, Wait, what did I miss? Yeah. I was like, what do you mean there's no one else? And either you have had meaningful looks with each other and she slipped you food. I mean, food is powerful though (laughs) it is if someone would bring me fried cheese on the rug i might marry them so (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah i kind of felt the same way too i get what you're saying um and i think in terms of the trauma bonding i can see that being a factor somewhat i do think that by the time that and I guess you could call I mean you could definitely call being kidnapped from your homeland and forced into an uncomfortable situation a trauma on the scale of the traumas that she does experience they the feelings that she starts to develop occur before she's actually physically assaulted and way before she's sexually assaulted too and so I feel like in comparison to the other stories where we've had where the trauma bonding has occurred, it's less of a consideration, at least initially. Like in the Red Queen, for example, um, we we believe trauma bonding from that perspective, but that was also after female main character, you know, was almost murdered and then betrayed massively. Male main character, father was beheaded, uh, also almost murdered become like outlaws in their kingdom and then female my character's brother is murdered and like there's just a whole lot of other people that are being murdered and these people like there's a whole lot of big trauma for those characters right so maybe Um, to a lesser extent with the trauma bonding yeah 
So I'm as curious reading this because I read it and I was like, oh, it's at one point it said it's a year, right? And my thought was, I mean, it's only a year, right? Like, yeah. and they don't like he's away like half the time, mm-hmm. you know. So I can understand why some of those girls going into it might be kind of like, yeah, great. I mean, I could do anything for a year. Yeah. Right. Get, yeah. Like that for them to get out of the situation that they were in, mm-hmm. right? like Aoki, for example, I know you don't like her and I didn't like her at the end either, but uh, she came from a large family. She like shared a bed with her three sisters or something. They didn't have a lot of money. And so in that situation, when you come from maybe like poverty, mm-hmm. having sex with the demon king for a year may not seem as bad. Yeah. And it's also, she even- had like some choice in that situation too. Lay had no choice. She was literally taken from her home, right. not part of the candidacy process. Like, it wasn't like she had any time to mentally prepare for or process this, mm-hmm. in contrast to the other people who were like doing it on purpose. Right. Yes. I agree. But I, yeah, it's just sort of like, you know a year (laughs) yeah my thinking was like that's mm -hmm. a lot of time and financial like stuff to invest in people that you're only going to keep around for a year you know what it means is practical you know what that made me think of was it bridge kingdom is that what it was where they had all of the oh yes Mm -hmm. it was his daughters the king had like a heart like a dozen daughters or something Mm -hmm. and he trained them for their whole life and then was only going to pick one and murder the rest of them. That's a waste of resources. Yeah. felt kind of this. I mean, the girls in this story, they go on to become like courtesans or performers or they marry generals or whatever. Mm-hmm. So at least they're, they have some purpose after yeah. the end of the year, but still like the government is cool. The people are cool with spending their money on the king to have eight virgins a year and then putting them back out into society feels like a waste yeah and i mean it sucks to be forcibly taken from your home and everything like that that's really awful but i feel yeah. like if i was forcibly taken from my home and they're like it's a year and he's also gone for like half the year and there are other people like just be, it seems like if you're just bad at it he'd leave you alone I mean, maybe. I feel like you're taking a risk in any case because there's no guarantee that he's going to be gone for a year, though. Well, not a year, but I mean, he was gone for months at a time. He was in this situation, but from year to year, he might be around for a while. So you're not guaranteed that he's going to be gone for a year. Maybe he sticks around or not a year, but that he's going to be gone for large swaths of time. Maybe there's a year where everything's good. And he's like, all right, I want something new, something, someone new to like ride my dick every day. Mm, That's true. You're taking a gamble. You are. You are. So I don't know. Uh, I, I definitely do think the circumstances are different based on like, if you are actually wanting to be and like put yourself in, in this situation, um, versus like in Lay's case where she was taken from her home. Yes. Yes. That was awful. Yeah. I mean, 
that that's that's the real issue because like the other girls they don't see like it's not not an ideal issue and I think a few of them are willing to Bryn certainly is willing to acknowledge that even Chenna I think uh, Aoki is the only one who goes like full Stockholm syndrome with this thing Mm -hmm. but like they're they're willing to recognize that it's not an ideal situation but it's something that they can they have accepted right and she because they really... knew it was coming mm-hmm. they were part of this extensive tryout process and being chosen and all of that stuff so there was like mental time to prepare yeah she Lay was just kind of right they were just kind of like here we're taking you now nice eyes you're a slave now yep have fun oh and we're gonna be mean to you because like you don't know how to act also you will be raped right right yeah no no nobody nobody's gonna sign up for that situation no. yeah so um i was like low-key disappointed that the moon cast wasn't cooler I guess I went into it thinking moons are cool. Right. And so we get to know them and they're all terrible mm-hmm. or mostly terrible. The demons, there's this uh, prejudice against people who are human. And it sounds like it wasn't always that case, uh, that that wasn't always the case, maybe before the great war. Um, there was more of an equal footing between humans and demons. And then as a result of the war, the, the demon cast, um, the, the moon cast became more oppressive to the humans. And so now the humans want to rebel, which I am all for. And I know that you are too. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I yeah I love a good rebellion yeah yeah um with the the people so general you is the one that shows up and he kidnaps lays lays Mm -hmm. he kidnaps lay because of her eyes which Mm -hmm. I feel like is kind of suspicious or something they talk about how special her eyes are but she's definitely human and I'm thinking but is she really human is there going to be something down the road where she ends up being uh, like part of the steel cast or something is she just very watered down steel cast Mm -hmm. but okay whatever um why does this remind me of real life where like a man feels entitled to your time and existence just because he finds you attractive because that's life that's life and i would say allegory like but was she trying to make this connection because it feels like it i started this book and texted you right after because I was immediately pissed off and had to put the book down and walk away from it mm-hmm. um because they killed the main character's dog in the first chapter my god like second chapter immediate mm-hmm. death they stabbed it and like picked it up on the end of a sword and then it they dropped it. it oh I was not I'm glad that you warned me so I didn't get attached to the dog but I still wasn't prepared for dog kebab it was like, awful. Yes. And like it mentions that it's like twitching and whimper. No. Uh, no. No. Horrible. Hate it. Hate that. 
awful awful god why do they kill the animals why do y'all like why do authors do this don't do that don't introduce a pet if you're gonna yeah. kill it has killing a pet ever served uh like to move a plot well i mean i guess isn't john wick that entire thing based off the fact that his dog was kidnapped or got okay. killed or something that's one but example in terms of like a, moving a plot like a plot point killing a dog dog or cat or pet cat. Just yeah it doesn't just seem necessary no you're just trying to make me hurt and i don't appreciate it mm -hmm. the situation was serious enough without you murdering her dog mm -hmm. and as soon as as soon as those so shoulder soldiers showed up i knew this is not going to be good jay Kristoff did with this with a cat in one of his books and he's like man Mm -hmm. Why would you do that? And then through the Throne of Glass series, the whole time I was worried about Fleetfoot. Yes. Oh my gosh. Like the introduction of a pet in any fantasy novel, I am instantly on edge. Mm -hmm. There is a 50% chance this animal is not going to make it out alive. <sighs> um, and it hurts me. Like, I don't care if you kill every other character in the book. Please leave the dog alone. Kill the main character. I don't care. Yeah. Don't you touch their pet chameleon though. Leave it. Mm -hmm. Ugh, I was so upset. I remember put my book down and walked away. <laughs> um, remember when JK Rowling killed Hedwig? Yeah, it was hurtful. Why? We got attached it wasn't to her. Even like six, six full books. I know. And it wasn't even like, wasn't the Hedwig not flying? Wasn't she just in her cage? No, she was being transported. They were trying to transport Harry from his house to the Weasley's house. And so right. it was like undercover. And Harry was about to be chat attacked and Hedwig dove in. Is that what happened? I, block I, think... I believe you. No, I she tried right. to protect Harry and was killed in the crossfire. I'm pretty sure. Why did I think they had her body? I mean, they may have. I don't remember if they had her body or not. Just because she got like spelled doesn't mean her body poofed or exploded. Oh, in the book, she was killed in her cage. Oh, okay. in the movie, she, she was wasn't? flying. She was, oh. she was killed while attempting to protect Harry from Death Eaters. Okay. So I have not seen the movie. So what you never saw the last Harry Potter movies? I saw the first two and then the sixth. I feel like I don't know you at all. <laughs> <laughs> we are like Lay and Rin here. <laughs> I'm Lay and you are Rin hiding in the forest. Being a badass goddess. And I'm over here like, I can't believe you haven't seen the Harry Potter movies. All right. Well, so then it happened both ways. <laughs> Hedwig's body was in her cage, but also she was protecting Harry. I read the book one time and that was it. I couldn't take it in again. So I'm not good at goodbyes, but I've seen the movie a few times. Mm. I've read the book at least twice. Oh no, I don't want to be sad that way. Um, yeah, so didn't love that. 
was very disgusted in this book by the idea of the the king selecting eight virgin teenagers every year. Oh my God, he's a pedophile. He's a pedophile. Aoki was pedophile. sixteen. I know, and if like I, I feel bad for like judging her, you know, and being like you're falling in love with a rapist and a pedophile and this really awful guy who oppresses your people and beats your friends and rapes your friends. But she is 16 and like Stockholm-y. Yes. But she walked into it already halfway Stockholm syndromed. Yes. So. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's 16. Yeah, she's 16. Her frontal lobe is not fully developed. Yeah. She's impaired in her planning and judgment skills. She is a child. This is gross. Lay is 17. Mm-hmm. They are children. I am. I was so bothered. Like that is disgusting. And he's a, I don't know, man. And he's had. I forget. He talks about the thousands of people he's had sex with. Like it's some great thing. That's not something to be celebrated, sir. That's disgusting. And the fact that you use, I don't know, government funds or whatever to have a selection process for your eight virgin teenagers is gross. Mm-hmm. Also, the way that the entire community treats becoming a paper girl, well, not the entire community because the paper girls are in a terrible position. The way that becoming a paper girl is treated like an honor and they're t- meant to like be grateful for the benevolence of the demon king is horrible. This is slavery. Mm-hmm. It's sex slavery. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they mentioned that the other one, like the other paper casts are slaves too. Like, I mean, he, that party, he's like, Hey, my party favors are people. Yeah. Don't forget. Don't forget your party favor on the way out the door. Take as many as you want. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. And even so they talk about like how great being a paper girl is for the girl's family because they'll be taken care of financially and things like that. Mm. Okay. But he, and I mean, this goes back to like, it's the only a year thing. Okay. But even after a year, they're not really free. Right. Right. They don't get to choose what they want to become. They can become a courtesan or a performer or whatever. But they don't get to like just go back to their life. Right. Lay's not going to get to just go home. Mm-hmm. She is property. Yeah. So she was this like interesting mix of gloomy and optimistic at some points. <laughs> right. Like, so she's like, I've been ripped away from everything I love, which yes, she has. And, you know, just all teenage angst right Mm -hmm. but then she's also like oh can I send letters and they're like sure and I'm like they're not gonna send you letters they're not gonna they're not gonna send you letters like that's not happening maybe I'll find my mom you're you're not gonna find your mom your mom is dead give up the hope she's dead like come on (laughs) you know it's like yes so yeah bring those expectations down she was she was an interesting character Mm -hmm. um 
I liked how she didn't get Stockholm syndrome. I mean, she did kind of get complacent in her situation after she was like assaulted. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, well, I could be dead, I guess. So that's that's where things could be worse. Um, I do like that we don't have this like dive into Stockholm syndrome or acceptance really of the demon king though. At, mm-hmm. at a certain point, she's like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I'm not cool with this anymore. Like, I'm not cool with this at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas Aoki, we get full Stockholm syndrome and also just general, like general horribleness as she progresses into the story. Mm-hmm. So she falls in love with the guy and then tells Lei that she should be grateful for what the king has given them. And Lei is like, I'm not grateful. I was kidnapped. Why would I be thankful for this? I didn't choose this. Mm-hmm. And then Lei gets assault, like sexually assaulted. She is raped. And Aoki is still defending him. She's yeah. a terrible friend. I was so done. Throw the whole girl away. Like, ugh. I do think it's interesting that the paper girls are put in kind of an uncomfortable position society-wise. Mm-hmm. So they're chosen. They don't get to like elect their job to be paper girl. They're chosen from a large group. Um, and I don't think they actually get to choose if they participate or not. Mm-hmm. I think it's said like they have to, if they're, Blue is the only one I think that had a choice in her participation. All of the other girls did not have a choice. And so they don't get to say no, or they'll die or their family will die or be punished Mm -hmm. in some way. The demons think they're sluts. Mm -hmm. The paper cast think that they're traitors. This is unfair all the way around. And it reminds me kind of of the double standards that women experience. Yeah. Like you, you can't win. There's a no win situation here. They don't have a choice, but they're being blamed for things that they have no control of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Kind of par- parallels a little bit the struggles that we might experience just as humans. Mm hmm. Which is part of what I like about fantasy like this. There's nothing like we don't have demons that are people like half bull people or whatever links. Right. But you can still glean and pull out pieces of this uh, and see how it applies to like your life as a human person. So. Yeah, I, um, I thought it was interesting. So we did have. Um... It has this fantasy element where they look like different animals, but at the same time, I felt like it wasn't that prominent in it Mm -hmm. simultaneously. Like I kept forgetting that like he was a bull. Yeah. And looked like an animal. I had the hardest time picturing that too. Mm -hmm. I, I really struggled to mental image that he just kind of looked like a minotaur. Mm -hmm. I think the hardest one for me to mental image was. The bird ones, like Mistress or Madame Himora and Marin at the end, who ends up flying them away and rescuing them. 
because they have wings kind of but also like human arms yeah i need a picture i need some drawings i need some illustrations mm-hmm. yeah i like the way that that was worked in I, I thought the cast system was interesting too and i thought it was interesting that everybody hates the the paper cast but those are the group that the king wants to be his concubines mm-hmm. is it like a fetish type of thing I don't know see so in this story we we have some representation we have some lgbtq representation but also we have other cultures so there's some pretty heavy asian influences in this story yes our author uh, natasha yan she uh, is of malaysian descent um and she has used some of that southeast asian influence in telling her story and uh, as I was reading this, it reminded me of a book that we covered a while ago or series really. It's called The Bone Witch by mm-hmm. Rin Chupeko. And you kind of got those vibes too, right? Yes. For me, yeah. I mean, because it's both kind of very similar in this Asian culture. And they also, in The Bone Witch, it's kind of similar and they go through this training. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is even like kind of flirtation and like stuff like that. So I think mm-hmm. it, it, kind of paralleled it in a couple ways that way that it gave me that vibe yeah um I think with like the descriptions of the dress for one that's a big and in the bone witch it there's even more to it because there's so much symbolism that goes into the hair accessories that the person would choose or their clothing and the things that they they put on there I forget there was a specific name for the clothes that they wore um but that that tie-in was really similar to me and it, it kind of makes sense too so i looked up the author of the bone which her name is Rinchi peko um she lives in the philippines but she's of uh southeast asian descent as well so she's filipino chinese malaysian and thai and so we've kind of got some similar influences to their storing ter- storytelling as well um in terms of uh, the lgbtq representation so we have lesbians lei and ren are um are lesbians what i like about the way that this is represented in the story is that it's not it's more like same-sex relationships have been normalized in this world so it's not just that they're lesbians that there is a problem with the demon king um because she mentions there being same-sex relationships with some of the demons that she sees in the story. There are demon pebbles walking around. Um, the issue with Lei and Rin's relationship is more just that they are concubines to the king. And so he takes offense at them having sex with anyone that's not him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I like the, that we have kind of this normalization of the same-sex relationships in this story. I do think it's interesting because they say specifically, like there are courtesans that are females for the pleasure of the males. And then they have male courtesans who only serve the males though. So I guess women can't use courtesans. It's this weird, like same sex relationships are okay, but also women are still sexually oppressed. Yeah. At the same time. Yes. 
So it's like what? <laughs> yeah. That vibe. Yes. They mm -hmm. also mentioned several times how women are supposed to wait until they're married to have sex. Um, mm. So, yes, I, I do feel like there's there's still that like oppression of women vibe. In this world, at least. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the way that Lay and Ren's uh, romance developed this very subtle sort of like gentle development of their romance um but because of that there were times like what you mentioned where lay is like um no I, I like there's no one else but you where she's like oh you're attracted to me and even in her realizing her attraction to ren it was very she has this like very illuminating moment where she's with Zell, who's one of the courtesans that trains them how to pleasure the demon king where she's thinking oh i'm attracted to ren mm -hmm. and so i like the way that it's and, that, and that's where this i mean it's kind of like fantasy romance but it's more fantasy less romance right which i think is kind of in line with it being a ya novel yeah you know they're not normally like super super heavy yeah on the romance like that um yes it was a very subtle romance yeah <laughs> i like the support that Lei and Ren are able to have for each other. I feel like the situation that they're put in would be very isolating. I mean, it's almost like you're in competition with the other seven, eight people that are living in your house, right? Like you probably want to be the favorite concubine. Aoki, mm -hmm. like there's mentions of Aoki being jealous. Blue is obviously vying for like favor. That's part of what makes her so awful. Um, and so I think, could see how this would be and that would be where some of the trauma bonding comes in as well like an isolating experience because you don't really know if you can trust the other people in your house right and so i love that they're able to support each other but they don't start doing that type of like physical affection and support like the physical support until they realize oh i'm attracted to you mm -hmm. i mean no it's not really strange but i think the development of it is a little different mm -hmm. um Especially, I feel like they would have spent so much more time together than what we're shown, you know? Yeah. Like, show them in classes. Are they passing notes? I mean, what's happening? Well, they do have their, like, dance lesson where mm -hmm. Ren helps tutor Lei in part of the dancing that she's terrible at. And that's sort of one of their first moments together. Uh, mm -hmm. she also talks about how Ren is pretty actively trying to keep herself from getting involved with the other people that she's working with just because she doesn't want to have any of those connections with her. And she kind of has this connection with Lei against her better, uh, not judgment against her best intentions. Mm -hmm. Right. But then we also have these moments where, uh, like Ren takes Lei to the ghost court and she shows her the tree where Ren has placed her sister's name, but also she's put Lay's mom's name on the tree. 
yeah to honor like the women that they have lost Mm -hmm. um when I think part of it I don't I don't know if you remember what your first relationship was like but also this is like this is Lay's first relationship with someone and so I forget like as I'm reading this that she's a teenager who's never been in a relationship before and so there's all of these things that she's kind of having to navigate for the first time which is sort of uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and awkward and maybe a little bit annoying again when she's like I don't know you at all or whatever like it's just almost these things that are annoying from my perspective as a 33 year old person who's had several relationships like I have to remind myself to think back to being 17 and in a relationship for the first time so there's different struggles struggles to navigate from that perspective right yeah also even in like the things that they've experienced in their lives so Rin has experienced the loss of her mom but her life has been fairly quiet like in her village tending to the herbs being mostly unnoticed whereas Ren has been training to be a warrior for her entire life and her goal for her entire life has been to get to this point in this story where she can kill the king. Like that's why she exists and was raised because of this prophecy. Yeah. And so the maturity level in that situation is probably a little bit different as well. Plus Ren is two years older than Lei. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so speaking, I guess, of relationships, um, there's a demon queen to the demon king. Yep. Well, we don't know anything about her. Totally nothing, except that she's hidden for breeding. Yeah, I got, like, queen bee vibes. Like, it literally made me think of, like, in a hive. Yeah. Queen bees. Yeah. I don't like it. I'm so bothered by that. Mm-hmm. I think it's weird. <laughs> Just keep her hidden. She's like the, the one ring. Keep it secret. Mm-hmm. Keep it safe. Got all. That's weird. Yeah, we were nothing about her. I, is she going to show up down the road at some point? No idea. Apparently, she was chosen specifically for the Demon King. Hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I thought that. Like, I just want more information. Yeah, there was some stuff on this that I'm sure it'll probably get addressed in, like, some of the um, upcoming, uh, some of the other books. But... Let's see what else. Oh yeah, I wanted to know more. Like her eyes were touched on, right? Mm-hmm. A couple times. Um, so that's obviously gonna come back. And then there was that whole like the magic, whereas if you use too much magic, like it keeps taking from you. Like that person's face like fell off. Yeah, what was that? I know it was like seriously, like, how do you just write that somebody's face fell off and you just move on? Yeah. So her chi was drained, right? So they mentioned yeah. like chi drain, draining 
a couple of times. They don't ever talk about like what that means. Obviously, it's bad. Mm-hmm. She mentioned she mentions a like a flap of skin falling onto her hand from this lady's face. <laughs> what? <laughs> what in the what in the heck? What? Yeah. So I would like to know more about some of the magic system. Also, I feel like the magic has got to be somehow tied to the sickness. And so that's something that gets brought up, but never really explored a lot in the story and presumably will become a more prominent plot point later on. There is a sickness that's affecting the land. The rivers are flooding. There's earthquakes. Things are, I mean, it sounds like global warming, honestly, Um, but that gets brought up and it's, thought to be so the king thinks it's related to the gods being angry mm-hmm. and i think it's got to be tied in with the magic somehow because they mentioned there's like a give and a take right right and they talk a few times about how the shot like there are tons and tons of shamans who are putting magic into the p- palace grounds and all of that stuff And so I'm wondering, like, is there an imbalance somewhere with these shamans? They have to come back in at some point. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's going to be more prominent in the stories that follow. Or is it related to the king somehow? Because he acts kind of unhinged a few times. His behavior is erratic. The way that he responds is bizarre. And so is it like an issue of his chi being unbalanced or him not have, or, or is he just kind of acting this way out of fear? Yeah. I mean, I love the idea of a mad king. If we're going to have to deal with this guy again, let's make him be crazy, crazy. Um, yeah. Like I, there's to me there's something preferable over that other than just somebody who's like sane and awful yeah versus just crazy and awful yeah like maven in the red king exactly exactly yeah um so yeah i'm fine if he's going mad i like you had a you had a theory about why another theory about why he uh might be acting so strange oh you mean the untreated syphilis yes yes I think it's quite <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah so he goes on and on and on like bizarrely on about how salty he is about not having a name right? before he became the king he was the third son he didn't get a name it's just third okay and then he became the king and now everyone calls him the heavenly master and he gets pissed at lay when she calls him the heavenly master like dude that's what she's been trained to call you that's what you're called and he sounds like a child i don't even have a name look you're the king if you don't like it change it i know i feel like oh somebody if like that was me and he was complaining maybe like fine your name's steve now or Chad, he's acting like a Chad. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Chad. Chad, Jared. All right, Kyle. <laughs> like, yeah. And so then he goes on about all of the people he's had sex like with. Maybe you just have an untreated case of syphilis and it has started to affect your brain function. It's possible. He's had sex with like thousands of people. So Yeah, like 
you don't expect to come away from that with no consequences. So I don't know. <laughs> if I start thinking about the bull thing a whole lot, it really trips me out. Like I can't visualize what his knees look like. So I'm trying to picture him climbing on a bed. Like, okay, so he has hooves. Does he have like knee joints? Do bulls get on beds? Does this, is this thing they, works? Is what is his you- mouth like? Um, I just really struggled. Isn't it mentioned that it's like backwards, like his knees are backwards, sort of? Maybe if that's the case, how does this work? I don't know. How do you get on a bed? How do you get on a bed with backwards knees? (laughs) I can't imagine it. I'm sure I I guess it's possible, but I can't see it. Drawings. We need drawings. I need I need a picture. I don't because I can't I can't I think it would have been a really great to get uh alternative point of view chapters for Rin Mm, yes I feel like she was more cognizant of what was going on and I think that's probably one of the reasons that this book lacked some suspense and anything other than rape because like she didn't know. Lay didn't know there was like a rebellion and assassins and rebels in the castle sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Ren did. Ren was the rebel in the castle. She yeah. was the assassin. Yeah. And she knows, I, sorry. No, go ahead. I was say, she knows also a bit of what's going on outside in the in the kingdom. You know, she knows about the sickness. She knows that the king has been like destroying villages and stuff. Lay doesn't know any of that. And that's something like, you know, it's because she was kept in her quiet like village and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I agree. I think it would have been good to have multiple point of views. Yeah. I also I just find her character to be more interesting than Lay. So yes, definitely. She has I think it, yeah. Or like a perspective on what was happening when she gets sent away to her village. So like her mom dies and she gets sent away, which is when she's supposed to be carrying out the plot to kill the king. Mm -hmm. So what's happening in the village when she gets there? What's going on with her mom? I want that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, she comes like back immediately. Mm hmm. So, yeah. Also, she says some things that I really like. So she says, it's probably my favorite quote in the story to lay when the world denies you choices, you make your own. I love that. She's found a way to have power in a situation where a a lot of the females are powerless, right? Their choices have been taken away. Mm -hmm. She has made her own. She has made her own way. I like the idea also, and this comes up a few times, of the females within the story being able to find power where they can. So Zell, for example, is one of them, um, where she's a courtesan. She's not allowed to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, she's not allowed to have a romantic partner. And, um, Oh, shoot. What's her name? Lay starts talking to her about the powerlessness that she feels. And she says to Lay, 
our minds and our hearts are our own. She gives her this great speech about being empowered in the ways that she can. She talks about how the king can't control the way that you feel. He can take away your choices and your body and stuff like that, but he can't control your emotions and the way that you respond to situations you can. And so I like that as well. I liked Zell. I would have liked more of her. Same. There's um, one quote, I guess I really liked. So at one point, the king, like in her first almost sexual interaction with him, he says something about how desire cannot be tamed. And Lei kind of turns it around later on. And this is when um, I think this is when she goes to poison him. And she thinks, well, king, you should see how untamable love makes you. And I like that. Although I was mm-hmm. like, mm, love, let's, mm, but at the same time, <laughs> good quote, but also, mm, are you sure? Yeah. We find out that Rin has been working with this wolf demon. His name is Kenzo training with him. And also he's part of their plot to overthrow the demon king. I feel like this plot is a little short-sighted. So Ren is going to kill the king. Kenzo will just kind of slide in there and be like, wait, 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 guys, this isn't such a bad thing. I just don't feel like that's a well thought out plan. No. And I kind of feel like it was destined to backfire no matter what. Yes. It does kind of, was it? It was the Red Queen where it's like, why is this being led by a bunch of teenagers? This whole rebellion is being led by a bunch of teenagers. Yep. The first part of the second book, the leader of the rebellion is like, wait a minute. Why am I leading a bunch of like letting a bunch of teenagers plan this? Yeah. 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 Same kind of vibe here. And it gets worse when Ren gets called home and Kenzo comes up to Lei and is like, well, guess you're going to have to assassinate the king now. My God. Yeah. And Lei's like, excuse you. He's like, what? You didn't think you were going to get your hands dirty? No, Kenzo. I didn't think that I was going to have to kill the king after only knowing about this idea for like a month. (gasps) It's not the hands getting dirty. That's the problem, Kenzo. It's that Ren has changed for her entire life to do this. And I've known about it for two seconds. And you're coming at me like, well, I guess you're going to have to be the one. I mean, but but he even knows that she's not going to do it, right? Like he's even like, here's an like good luck. He's like, you're probably not going to make it out of this. Best wishes. Like he did not have high hopes for her. No, warmest regards. He's like, no, I, he literally says it too. She's like, you know, I don't stand a chance. And he's like, well, actually, it's just that you stand a very, very small chance of success. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Yeah. You're going to bet the whole of your rebellion movement on that? I mean, they still had like an attack planned. Yeah. Though, right. So, I mean, yeah. But a big part of the attack 
was dismantling the government system by assassinating the king. Yes. I just think it was a big risk. (laughs) I would like to talk about his death because I had some thoughts about this. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. So first of all, RIP to Zell. She is the real champion in this story. She threw a knife and nailed him in the eye. And that's really what disabled him enough for Lay to be able to do what she did. Right. So, I mean, she like gets him out there and I don't know why on earth she thinks she can trick him into coming out there, right? Like, mm-hmm. no. Because at this point... Blue has told him that she was in a relationship with Ren. And so he's very upset because she's his property and she had sex with someone else. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. And he has just her family there. Right. Yes. And it's like, and I was like, now, now you try to use your like feminine wiles to like, get this is the time. This is not the time to do it. Nobody's going to believe you. Yeah. Um, but okay. So they struggle, he gets it in the eye and then she stabs him in the throat and kind of saws back and forth. And he's like gurgling and there's all this blood. And she mentions like that there's this like cracking, things are cracking and breaking like, gosh. and he has like, he got a knife to the eye, like straight to the eye. And this dude lives. How magic. No. I mean, you can, I guess magic no. will solve all the problems, but I reject that. Was I just, I got to that end, that last like chapter, which was only like two paragraphs, I guess, you know, like uh-huh. eh, he's alive. And I, there was just something that was like so, so disappointing about it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if it hadn't been like, just kidding he's alive i would have been way more interested in about re- moving on to the next book because i think him still being alive was just like i would have much preferred to read about okay he's dead now they can um like take down the rest of the court sort of thing yeah but like now he's back and I just feel like, oh, it's got to kill the same bad guy again. Yeah. Like, it's frustrating. Yeah. But also his death was not death. His like attack, the sawing, it was really brutal. Like it was disgusting to read. It was. And so I just don't, I guess magic can do a lot of things. It seems like it would not be able to do everything. It sounded like he was partially decapitated the way that was written. Yeah. He was sawing his head off. Yes. That is the image I had in my mind. Things are cracking and being ripped apart. How do you magic that back together? I have no idea. It feels like a flimsy use of magic, I guess. Yeah. I think that was the other thing that was disappointing about it was that like, it was just so unrealistic for him to come back. I'm like, okay, you know, maybe just like, the dagger in his eye or something yeah he'd come back from that or if you shoot him with an like an arrow and you thought that like 
the arrow hit him but oh no he's actually alive but she was sawing through his throat yep like for a while it wasn't just like uh it was like she sat there and sawed yeah there's a there's only so much reality we're willing to suspend (laughs) in this situation yeah but i also kind of have a theory about why he ended up not dying and it's because he's supposed to be killed by the great warrior or whatever who is ren like ren is allegedly the one that's prophesied to kill him so it makes sense if that's the case why he didn't just die when lay sawed his head off Hmm. i think Ren is going to be the the one that ends up killing him down the road. I hope so. Yeah. I, this book didn't end in the way that I anticipated it ending, mostly because their chi master earlier in the book has this vision, right? And he's talking to Lei and he's going on and on and on about like the fire and being engulfed in flames and things like that. And so I thought for sure that this girl was going to burst into flames and just burn the whole thing down. And maybe she will down the road, but she didn't in this book. And I mean, stuff catches on fire, but she didn't even set it on. Like I'm expecting a pyromaniac to come out of this situation. Not so. So I don't know if that's coming, if she's got some like magic fire ability, because I would love that, but it didn't end in the way that I was expecting it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that I predicted wrong. And also there's a lot of attention or whatever that's brought to the necklace that she wears around her neck, because it's like a rite of passage. When a child is born, they get a necklace and it's got a word written inside of it. And it's supposed to be like an omen or I use, I feel like I've used the word prophecy a whole lot recently, but it's supposed to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so Ren turns 18 in the midst of all of this chaos and opens her necklace. And the word flight is the thing that's written on the piece of paper, which felt like a little anticlimactic to me. I don't know if it's because she just fled a situation or whatever, but that felt really obvious. I don't know. And I guess just if I had been carrying around a necklace for 18 years and I opened it and the only thing on the word or only thing on the paper was the word flight, I might be like, Hmm. I was expecting more. Yeah. Something more dramatic. I mean, especially because here's the other thing. It would make more sense with flight. Like, if she spent her whole like years and years being like controlled and everything like that, but she had a pretty like, you know, she had time where she wasn't. She got to live like her life happy-ish, right? There wasn't a ton of constraints or control on her, right? Yeah. So like I would understand flight being really meaningful in a, a situation where you have like prolonged no control over anything and like, yeah, I can finally fly away. But I felt, yeah, I think flight was anticlimactic. Fire, burn, curse. I was kind of hoping for something bad, but. Ooh, yeah, that would have been a nice twist. Mm -hmm. Death. Yes. What does that mean? Am I going to die? Am I going to be death? What is it? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been 
club. Yeah. I, so at the very, very end of this book, with Naya, Naja, mm -hmm. the fox demon, who is the king's like number one. Mm -hmm. She has killed Kenzo. So that's that part of that plan messed up. Um, and is it says that she caresses the king's face and says, I knew a mere human girl couldn't kill you. Like, do we think she maybe has feelings for him or something? She's real hateful to um, Lay. The first time she goes to the king's room, like she calls her a whore and the thing kind of bashes her head in as she's fleeing his room. And now she's caressing the king's face and maybe you would caress your boss's face no. if he just had his throat sawed through but it seems that's a weird thing to do I'm not sure I would caress anyone's face like unless it was my like someone I have feelings for yeah I'm sorry Marissa I'm not going to caress your face if I find out you're <laughs> I'm offended and hurt I thought we were special Vicky <laughs> No, I was hiding from you that I didn't watch the Harry Potter movies. You think I'm going to caress your face? I know nothing oh. about you. <laughs> I'm wounded. Um, I apologize. You should. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to share about this book? No. Okay. Um. Well, I know that you didn't super enjoy it. I... I mean, I enjoyed reading this book, except for all of the, nah, I'm not going to, mm, no. Um, uh, this book is part of a trilogy. There are two books that follow it. Um, and I believe that they are both out. So I think that this is a completed series. Um, if you read this book or you're listening to this podcast and you want to continue on, um, I believe that's all that we have to say about the story. So uh, join us next week. We will be discussing the book Cinderella is Dead by Kaylin Bayron. Um, again, we're continuing with our Pride Month reads. So we hope that you join us next week and thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.